0: Father, our ability to stand in any way or any form is entirely dependent upon Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we stand here, those who know Him know also that sin's grip is gone. Father, we look for the day when we will be like You We will, Lord, not be tempted with sin any longer. We will be in glory where we will see you as you are. And yet, Lord, we know that we will never be able to plumb, even through eternity, the depths of your glory. For we are creation. But, Lord, we will be removed entirely and completely, wholly and forever from the power of sin. And it will be replaced with the love of Christ. So we thank you this day. We praise you. We, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning in your word. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Ellie Wiesel is uh, a name that some of you may have heard because of his uh, the book that he wrote, *Night*, but probably not too many. He was a survivor of Auschwitz and Buchenwald, uh, two of the most brutal uh, concentration camps of the Holocaust. He was orphaned there. His Father was killed, his mother was killed, and his sister was killed. He lost his family. In 1986, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And his uh, newfound notoriety gained him an interview with U.S. News and World Report. And the reporter wanted to ask him about one of the lines in his acceptance speech. Let me read that line to you. Yes, I have faith. Faith in God and even in his creation. Without it, no action would be possible. And action is the only remedy to indifference. The most insidious danger of all. And it was to that word indifference that he had used in his acceptance speech that the reporter wanted him to say more about. And so uh, Ellie told the reporter the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It is indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy. It is indifference. It's indifference and because of indifference, one dies before he actually dies. Then he gets a little more specific about what he means by that. To be in the window and watch people being sent to the concentration camps or being attacked in the street and do nothing, that is being dead. In other words, Ellie argued that indifference is a lack of concern on behalf of another. So taken biblically, action on behalf of another, contrary to that, indifference is in fact love. And to fail to act, as Ellie says, is to cause one to die before he actually dies. Such a person like that couldn't care less. In 1986, country and western singer Alan Jackson wrote a song entitled, I Couldn't Care More. Uh, The words go something like this. Lately, it seems that the love you once had in your eyes is now all but gone. Darling, what have I done wrong? We're falling apart right in front of my eyes. And it's something I just can't ignore. Well, baby, maybe you couldn't care less. But darling, I couldn't care more. I couldn't care less. You know, when we don't care about someone... The, we don't love that person. The modern notion, yeah, not too many people say I couldn't care less. Uh, some people do, or I could care less, uh, which is not exactly accurate, but that's, it's, it depends on the way people say it. Mostly today they say, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever. You know, if you're a husband and wife or you're ever in an argument and the other person says, whatever, <laughs> the argument's done. Well, it's not done, but it's you know, it's not going to go anywhere at that moment. The postmodern version, and you'll have to forgive me. Some of the younger ones may pick up on this right away, but it's meh. Yeah, here a little bit. Maybe you don't know what meh means. They actually made a movie about it. Uh, anyway, it means I don't care. It means I don't care. And the Apostle Paul, instead of saying. I couldn't care, meh, was saying I couldn't care more. And that's how we should be characterized as well because that's another way continuing on in our series for this entire year of what it means to love someone. The Apostle Paul couldn't care more and he expressed that care for his new children in the faith with a very deep emotion he wanted to know how he wanted them to know how profoundly painful their separation had been and his example teaches us that in order to profoundly impact people we have to first profoundly care about them so how do we accomplish this turn with me to 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 17, and we'll go to 3, 5. Obviously, in such a large passage, we'll only hit the wave tops. But nevertheless, in 1 Thessalonians 2:17 to 3, 5, we read this. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. So, as we go through this, you'll discover a little bit more about what's driving Paul here. But first, what does Paul's example show us? And that is is that if we truly care for someone, for one another, we will want to be together. And we'll want to be together even, and especially I should say, in the knowledge that it's Satan's desire to separate us. And you need to know that, and you need to live in view of that, is that Satan wants to do you harm. Torn away from you, brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart. That's what Paul said. And that's what he wants them to know. Uh, He wants them to know that he was unable to get there. He could not get there. In 2013, when uh, Barbara was visiting our daughter in Canada, and I was in Aviano, Italy, and F-16 went down over the Adriatic, and uh, the pilot was killed. And so my life was consumed with, with grief counseling, with uh, memorial service preparation, and I might say with a few sleepless nights. There were over 1,200 that attended the the memorial, which is on uh, YouTube. During the memorial uh, rehearsal, I got a call from Michelle, a panicked uh, call. She had found Barb unresponsive, uh, dialed 911. The ambulance was on the way. But she put the phone up to Barb's ear for me to talk to her in the chance that she might be able to hear and maybe provided the measure of comfort. So I spoke to her until the medics took her, and then I immediately went to the commander and I said, I've got to leave, I've got to go to Canada, and I've got to get there now. Uh yeah, you don't necessarily easily leave Aviano. You know, I mean, Rome may have a few flights a day. Um, Aviano does not. you got to get down to Venice. And so anyway, it would be 24 hours before I could, uh, barely before I could even get out, much less get to Toronto. I desperately wanted to be with her, but I, I could not. Thankfully, a few hours later, I got a call from Michelle, and uh, Barb had been stabilized at the hospital. She would be fine. Adrenal insufficiency, as it turned out. That's the sense behind Paul's words here. I want to be with you. I want to be there. You know, we think of the Apostle Paul as a scholar, as a distant scholar, where there's space between him and the people. And there was not. I mean, when you look at the words that he used, he says, We were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. This word translated here, this great desire that he's talking about, is exactly the same word that Jesus Christ used when he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you to the disciples, the Last Supper, the Passover. Christ had waited eternity for that moment. I mean, that's the kind of desire. The same word here, the Apostle Paul wanted to be there, but he couldn't. couldn't get there. So he did the next best thing that he could. He sent Timothy in his stead to strengthen and encourage their faith. And he waited in Athens as I waited in Aviano. And when Timothy returned and told uh, the Apostle Paul about all the things that he experienced, he uh, Paul just couldn't wait to write this this letter. But why? I mean, why is it so important for us to stay together? I mean, the answer is simple. And I'm talking about uh, not I'm talking as a church, as family units, as as friends, even as communities, and in the larger community. It's, this is a very important thing and the simple answer is this is because Satan wants us to separate. Satan wants people to be apart from one another. He wants churches to be apart from one another. He wants communities to be separate. He doesn't want people together. And that is what we see here in the text. And it shows not only that, but it also shows that indifference should not be a part of our emotional vocabulary. Paul says in, in verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, you know, and yet Satan hindered us. Elsewhere in the scripture, Satan is described as a, a roaring lion seeking who he may uh, devour and, and we all know this, but what does it mean? I, I'm actually very happy that I've never been in a place where I might you know, if you walk around in the woods out here, you might run across a rattlesnake or maybe a copperhead or a water moccasin, you know, maybe a raccoon. I don't know. But you know what? You know what you're not going to run across? A lion. There aren't any here. If there's one here, it escaped from the zoo. So when you but I've seen videos as you all have, you have know, seen lions hunt, right? You've seen how they do it? You know what amazes me is you can have this you can have a pride of lions all hanging around a water hole and all the animals are there, you know? I mean, they're checking it out. Ears are up, but they're just they're just drinking. Why are they doing that? Why didn't they just bolt? I mean, go, go, go. And I'll tell you why it is because they know something. They don't maybe know it intellectually, but they know it intuitively, and that's this. Those lions have already picked out who they want. Young, old, and or most desirable is the one who's left the herd. It's the one who's off to the side. They can go get those. That's an easy thing. They don't even have to worry about fighting Any of the other animals or anything, they just go, they just pick them off. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to be separate. He wants you not to go to church. He wants you not to be involved with family. He wants you to isolate yourself so that he can come in and that he can attack. Although we may recognize it or not, understand the fact is, as we heard in the earlier service, that Jesus Christ is glorified whether you recognize it or not. In the same way, we are in a spiritual battle every day, whether you recognize it and or not. And the Apostle Paul uses this word, hindered. It's a fascinating term. It's a military term, which really you know, always gets my... Uh, blood pumping. What is this military term "hinder" doing in here? I don't know. You have probably heard this phrase. Maybe you chuckled when you heard it. I don't know, but it's "advance to the rear." Have you ever heard that? Have you heard that phrase, "advance to the rear"? A few people have. Not as many hands as I would have thought. Advance to the rear, and that actually came out. Uh, uh, a, it was a real order. It was an order that was given to the first Marine division at the Chosun uh, Reservoir during the Korean War. And it originated with Major General Smith, where when asked about the order, they're going, that's a retreat. And he said, Marines never retreat. He said, gentlemen, we are not retreating. We are merely advancing in another direction. The reason for that was what he found himself in, and it was accurate from a military perspective because he was in a three hundred and sixty battlefield. It was not like there was a front here and a front here, and a no man's land in between. No, he was entirely surrounded, and the Chinese army had blown out a bridge now this bridge they only blew out i don't know maybe twenty feet it's a little twenty foot section, yeah yeah. <laughs> no big deal well it was a big deal because underneath that bridge there wasn't any solid ground for 1500 feet can't cross that can't get across that ah eh, maybe you can build a rope bridge and you can get some of your healthy guys how are you going to get your wounded across how are you going to get your dead across how are you going to get all that across so they had to build a a a, a bridge and uh, that's a whole other story, uh, very interesting. One day I might tell that story, but that's, that's not for today. Today is this notion of hindered. Hindered does not mean you were inconvenienced. you know what this word means? Satan hindered him. It's the exact same word that's used when an army destroys the road so that you can't get across it. So, this, is a, this isn't an inconvenience. The road itself had been obliterated by an opposing army. I mean, we see some of this kind of spiritual battle uh, in the book of Daniel. He fasted, he prayed. It was about like three weeks, and I can imagine he's going, Yeah, okay, God, we usually have a quicker dialogue than this. What's happening here? And then finally, an angel shows up and says, The prince of Persia was uh, delayed me. He stood against me for three weeks until Michael showed up. Uh, I mean, Paul knew this. Paul also knew from the Old Testament that in the book of Job, that the Lord will at times allow Satan to even touch the flesh. I mean, look at what he did to Job. It was horrible. But he also knew that Satan could only go as far as God permitted, so what does that mean to us? Satan wants to separate us from our fellowship, he wants to separate us from one another. He causes conflict, and you know in the uh, i've I've done a lot of work with people, and i I realized that. The fall has already accomplished most of that. We don't need his help. We're pretty good at it ourselves, causing conflict and causing conflict with, uh, with, with one another. Now, not to be naive about this, we all know that every relationship, be it a marriage relationship, be it a parent child relationship, being a friend, whatever, any relationship is, uh, is going to be hit by a few snags from time to time. And one of the worst ways to handle that is to check out. One of the worst ways is to say, I don't care, whatever, meh. It doesn't matter to me. Indifference will kill that relationship. And what most people do is they get upset and they hide their true feelings. They end up... Hiding uh, and generalizing the event to a character flaw. Oh, it's just the way he is. It's just the way she is. And then you that makes you all feel all justified that you can be hateful about it. It's what we do as people. And then what we end up doing ultimately is we put physical distance. Sometimes that's a little thing like turning on the tv or turning it up or hitting the accelerator while you're driving or putting the newspaper over your face that's what's happening there sometimes it's pretty radical where you actually create distance i mean you actually you leave you go somewhere here's the irony it's crazy irony the more you hide those three things your heart your words and the more you put physical distance the closer they are in your brain in other words, you trying to get away is embedding it in your brain, and it just makes difficulty. Bezel van der Kolk, he's a leading uh, trauma researcher. He uses this illustration as a self-defense analogy, and God forbid that anyone would ever be in this situation, but you can consider this self-defense right here. And I... I okay... Let me preface this by saying I'm, I'm not talking about I'm going to talk about dogs, but I'm not talking about a yipper dog. Okay, this has got to be a dog, a, you know, large dog. And not only that, this dog has to be intent on killing you, not biting your ankles, uh, not barking at you. No, none of that. They're 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 after you. This is life and death. Okay, so you got to understand that as a a context for this. So what will happen is that the best way to disable a dog that's intent on killing you is that most dogs will naturally go towards your face, your face or your throat. So unless you're like taught completely, uh, caught completely by a surprise! They're going to run into an arm or a leg or a hand or a foot first. They're going to, you know, you're going to, you're not going to say, "Oh, come bite me." You're not going to do that. You're going to do some kind of protective thing, right? Now, here's the thing: dogs' teeth are curved, so the damage. There's two things that happen. One is when a dog bites. If you pull away, that's simply going to deepen the hold. Right, and the second thing that happens is it triggers in the dog a an attack instinct. Right, okay. So what you have to do is ram your arm, your foot, your hand down its throat as far as you can. And an amazing thing will happen. You know, they teach this. If we've got any people who've worked in. Uh, certain types of facilities where the people might bite you, that's what you're taught. You you put your hand in it. You know what happens when you put your hand down somebody's throat? They open their mouth. Ah, They they open it. It's automatic. They just do it, right? And here's the thing. Not that I wanted to gross everybody out about (laughs) dog bites, but the same is true, hear me on this, the same is true with conflict. If you flee, you will only increase the damage that is done to you. You must go into the conflict. Your words must not hide your heart. You must speak the truth. You must not put physical distance between yourselves. Speak the truth. Say what it is that you want, that you need, or that you desire, because avoidance does not cause conflict to cease. It causes communication to cease. Togetherness is what helps to promote and generate communication. The more you address it openly, the more you'll enjoy good communication. And that's what Paul wanted. Paul was afraid of what? He was afraid that Satan had got a hold of them. And he wanted to strengthen and encourage them and tell them how he felt and what he wanted for them. You know, they were only a few months old. If you read the story, and he wanted to get back. Uh, Brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, we were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Now, some of you already know this. I know, I know the one-year Bible folks are the people who read the Bible uh, every year. They, they already know the story. Acts 10 tells you how Paul and Silas, they had to leave in the middle of the night because Jason got pulled out in this intense persecution and opposition and he was in danger of his, his business, his life. Uh, whatever all else that the people would do to him. And he was in danger of death. And Paul and Silas fled, not out of cowardice. Not, no, that's not why. It was because they didn't want unnecessary persecution to come upon this baby church. It was only a month old. Now, Here's the fascinating thing. Only once in the entire bible and only here does this word appear where it says taken away from you the word actually literally means and some versions may reflect this it means that we that they were orphaned that they had lost their parents and that's that's the emotional connection the feeling that it was and it was incredibly painful for Paul and the, the Thessalonians. You know, when we're born again, we become family. God has designed the family, right, as the basic unit of society. And there's a strange thing, another military story, uh, that is the meaning behind then Lieutenant Colonel Hal Morris statement. When he talked to his men before they went into the Drang Valley in Vietnam to fight. And it was this. He said, they say, they who? They. We. The country. They say we're leaving home. But we're going to what home was always supposed to be. Meaning that you're there, you're together. And it's not based on what you do. It's not based on... Any characteristic or any accent or anything else is based on who you are. You're a fellow in their company. And your family should be a place of acceptance and safe. Not all are. I get it. Not because you're deserving, but because of who you are. So I know here that everybody can't be in... Small groups or, or discipleship groups, for one reason or another, and they're all valid. But you know, there's no reason not to be able to hang out in the uh, when we have our coffee, and there's no reason not to hang out a little while after the uh, the message. Some people, that's really the only true community that they ever end up getting. Now, there's a second thing I want to pull out of uh, here, and that is is that when we truly care when indifference does not mark us, we are going to do everything that we can to establish and exhort one another in the faith. We're not going to stand idly by and let people uh, lose ground in their walk with Christ. We're going to be there, and, and we, we learn this from any number of scriptures, including uh, this one. Paul wrote in another place, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The author of Hebrews tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So ongoing faith is a very important thing, and we want to build each other up. And we want to understand the promises in His Word, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And all of that's essential. But there's a challenge. There's a challenge that comes to us, and it's in the form of trials. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my only, I can only guess is that, mm, uh, let me think, 100% of us are going through a trial somewhere on the spectrum right now. Some, it's pretty high. Pretty high. Some, it's not as high, but I'll guarantee you we all are faced with this. And Paul understood this. And he lived his life with a view to that. And he even taught these baby Christians. By the way, if we ever go through the book of Thessalonians, First <laughs> Thessalonians, you're going to be amazed. You're going to say, these are baby Christians? <laughs> Need the to meet of the doctrine and the teaching and the understandings of God and Christ that are in there are astounding. But it reminds me of uh, the way Paul lived. He lived with that in view so that he could look towards the final judgment. It reminds me of uh, Jonathan Edwards, his ninth resolution, where he says, "...resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying." You know, in the West, we just we don't even like that. We just say, "Oh, no, 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 no. We're not even going to talk that." And uh, at all. And the reason that Paul sent Timothy there was to establish and exhort them, knowing that one day they would die and they would be face to face with Jesus Christ. And what would that day be. And this is what the Apostle Paul says about that. He says, for who is our hope, uh, our, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? You are our glory and joy. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. As believers, like the Apostle Paul, we're destined for trials. We see that all through Scripture. I know that there are many teachers who say that you can avoid trials. There are many teachers who say that the closer you've God, the fewer trials you'll have. That's not biblical not from what my understanding of the bible is as believers were destined jesus couldn't have been clearer when he said in john 15:20 if they persecuted me they will also persecute you he went on and he said this these things i have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you have tribulation but take courage. I have overcome the world. See, Paul's anxiety here about the Thessalonians was not born of a lack of faith, but rather a godly concern he had for all the churches. We see that in Corinthians where he says, and besides all this, I, I have the, 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 the weight of the churches on me uh, daily. It was the concern of a spiritual parent for his children in the faith. Some of you know uh, this this feeling. And when you see that person, someone that you care about, maybe someone that you introduced to the faith and they're struggling, you want to come alongside of them on their journey to strengthen and encourage them. We have to teach new believers to expect trials, to expect trouble. It's a coming. And that's all right. You know what? Not all pain is bad. It's not some pain in our lives God uses to develop us into a closer relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. For some, what we want to come alongside them for is because for some, they'll get knocked off too far from the center. And so with that kind of affliction or persecution, we need to be together together. Otherwise, if one falls, who's going to pick him up? You know, for two years, Eli Vizell. Uh, if you've never read his story, it's worth it's it's worth the read. Um, he witnessed the absolute horrors of the concentration camps, and when he got to Auschwitz, his life was summed up in eight words. Men to the right, women to the left. This is the last time he saw his mom. Last time he saw his sister. And as he lay on his top bunk, his father in the lower bunk. He was in the lower bunk because he didn't have the strength to climb up to the top. and He had a cough and a breathing that was difficult even for the prisoners to take. And so a SS officer decided to take matters in his own hands and he beat him. He beat him. And the last words that Ellie's father spoke was, I should say the last word, was Ellie. It was a summons that was never answered And his father died on that bunk that night. He said that that was to his everlasting shame that he had turned his face away from his father. Never again, he said. And so the primary lesson out of the concentration camps for him could be summed up in eight words as well. Love's opposite is not hate but callous indifference. It's saying, I couldn't care less. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again and for the Christian who will see the Lord face to face, we will be like Him. We will enjoy Him forever. Yet there are some who when they hear of the cross, they say, I couldn't care less. Meh. Yet on the cross, as the son was beaten and bruised, it was not the son in the concentration camp, but it was the father who fell silent. And in that mute, mutinous, in that holy and sacred moment of silence, the Lord turned his face away from his son, Jesus Christ, and he looked at you, and he looked at me, and he said, I couldn't care more. Do you know him? Do you desire to see him face to face? Do not let another day pass in uncertainty. Uncertainty for your eternity is not a wager you want to make. Father, we are deeply grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ. We stand amazed in his presence. We are stunned that You would have Your creature worship You in such a way that it would be acceptable. We pray that our hearts are turned to You in this way. We thank You that we no longer have the power of sin dominating us. Sin is still there, but Lord, it's Your Spirit, Jesus Christ, who control our lives. We thank You. We praise You forever through Christ our Lord. Amen.